gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers. A theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast-loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit Telerik.com slash Xamarin dash Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. I don't know about up by you, John, but winter just suddenly got here to New York pretty quick. Like two weeks ago, it was like 50 degrees, which is really weird for, for late November, but now it's suddenly winter. How about that? I was going to say, yeah, it's it's uh, it's white this morning, unfortunately. I still have to get my uh, snowblower started up for the season. Um, but I, I, Am I just being... Am I just stereotyping? Isn't it always snowblower season in Canada? Is that... You know, I, I live in this weird little pocket where we actually have like almost identical weather to say like New York and Boston. It's uh, it's it's kind of nice. I don't mind the, the lack of true Canadian uh, weather where I am. Huh. How do the polar bears survive when it gets hot, though? Oh, they just keep going farther north, Greg. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I'll, I'll let that one go then. Um, so, so we have uh, definitely an interesting episode today. Uh, so a few months back when we were at uh, Microsoft's Build Conference. We talked a little bit about React Native, but we sort of jumped around a, a few different areas of it, talked about App Center, um, talked about distribution models, and, and a little bit about how you develop with React Native. But we're, I think we're long overdue for, for a much deeper dive into to what it's like to work with it and, and what you can do with the framework. Um, so I'm excited to, to welcome uh, Bonnie Eisenman to, to the show, who, who really knows this stuff. So, so thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, so you you have a book that came out on O'Reilly. Uh, so, I actually before we even dig into it, um, I'm curious what the the current process is at O'Reilly around getting like what animal you get. Is it still this sort of like se- secret tribunal where you don't get any input? Like that's how it was. I, I published five years ago, so I don't know if if they've relaxed that a bit. But it was always kind of a weird, funny thing. Yeah, um, I honestly couldn't tell you. I think it's still the secret tribunal. But uh, <laughs> after I had signed my contract with them, I was getting ready in my first conversation with my editor to be like, okay, so how do I just des- like, who decides what animal I get? Uh, and <laughs> then she handed thing. me the mock up of the cover. So uh, my my O'Reilly animal is a ring tailed possum. And uh, I'm pretty <laughs> happy with that, actually. So it worked out. Nice, nice. Yeah, it was the same for me. I was like, Oh, I have, I, you know, I have because uh, we were doing uh, mono and Xamarin stuff, I'm like, oh well, it has to be a monkey. It fits in the theme. They were like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Just, just, just write your book. We'll deal with that part. Um, so I always like to ask authors because, because it was a funny thing for me. But, but yeah, I got a Caspian turn, which I guess on the plus side, I learned that a Caspian turn is a thing that exists because I had never heard of it before. Uh, but anyway, so, so React Native, like, like I said, we we've talked sort of the basics, but, but let's assume, um, you know, uh, an audience of passing familiarity at best with, with some of these tools of React and React Native and all this. So, so at a high level, what is React Native? Mm. So React Native is a way of using JavaScript to write applications that target one of several platforms, um, most famously Android or iOS, but now there are also really well-supported implementations for, say, Windows or Ubuntu um, or even the web. 
so the the other implementations that was going to be one of my questions a bit later but like what does that look like now are, are those producing like native controls on the platforms you're you're targeting or is it um some kind of ui that's you know rendered on top of javascript and, and html and that kind of thing yeah, so that's actually one of the coolest things about React Native in general, which is that it's not just, you know, creating a UI out of HTML and stuff like that. Um, in order to have React Native support for a platform, you actually need to build what's called um, a bridge in, in their parlance, um, which gives React Native the hooks to call the actual APIs of the platform. So, you know, whether that's to create a UI view or a view or whatever, um, React Native gives you a JavaScript interface into the same APIs you would be using if you were doing native development. Um, so for the other implementations for things like Windows, for example, Microsoft has supported the development of that bridge. So would you consider React apps to be native apps or hybrid apps, or how, how would you explain that? Um, it depends on what context you're talking about, right? Um, they're not native apps in as much as like, yes, you need to be able to know JavaScript in order to read what they're doing. Um, but in terms of the end product and the end user experience, yeah, they're a lot closer to native apps than to some hybrid. So then does that mean that they're going through some sort of build process that actually translates, say, uh, you know, and we'll get into the specifics of, you know, components and, and that sort of stuff. But if you say, if you have a component in your React Native layout, does that translate to an actual you know, native button on, say, iOS, like a UI button or, you know, a button on Android? Or is it a, a web view that you're sort of looking at there? Um, it's the former. So that's one of the awesome things is that it's not even that it compiles into that. It's that there's an actual JavaScript interface into creating a UI button or a button. Cool. And OK, so then based on what you just said, it sounds like is that all kind of happening on the fly then? So it just sort of takes these these React views and components and then figures out and spits out the native stuff on the fly as opposed to it being a build time con uh, configuration there? Exactly. Yeah, you can think of it as sort of creating this um, abstraction layer that wraps around the APIs we're used to working with, right? The fact that Android and iOS have totally different primitives for how you describe UIs, how you describe like what's an activity and a view manager and all this stuff, right? Um, and React Native is just sort of a common language for describing how you interact with a platform's APIs. Gotcha. So so I think we should actually take a step back to and, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what React is, how it sort of works, and then how, you know, how someone coming from the the website of React, which is the more common use case for for React in general, like like how they can start to to apply those same sorts of things to to React Native. So, like, what's the relationship there? Yeah. So React in general is a really interesting framework. Um, I know a lot of people make jokes about the churn in JavaScript frameworks for the front end, right? Um, but what React did, and one of the reasons why I think it took off, was that it basically said, hey, what if we tried to apply like some ideas from functional programming to, to web UI development, which is inherently stateful? So that seems kind of contradictory. But we did it in a way that like doesn't have jargon and doesn't, uh, well, React has plenty of jargon, but it's not, it's borrowing functional programming ideas without taking things like Monad, which is, you know, not something most people need to worry about. Um, so React for web makes it look as though you're writing like this sort of HTML-esque language and makes it look as though you're writing JavaScript that manipulates what's on the page. But instead of doing like the old style, maybe like lots of people were familiar to doing this with jQuery or stuff like that, where you actually manipulate the DOM directly and you're um, imperatively describing like, I want to change this element on this part of the web page. 
Um, with React, you describe when this kind of thing happens, here's how my web page should look. And then React takes care of the mechanics of actually modifying the DOM for you. So can you dig a little bit into, I think this is what you're talking about. I, I've, I've heard this uh, term JSX. Is that the, the sort of language you're talking about? And what exactly is that? What does that look like? Yeah, so JSX looks uh, sort of like XML, sort of like HTML. Um, the main difference is that instead of, you know, just writing things like divs, uh, you write components with whatever name you want. So maybe you write a component that's called a view or that's called a header or a toolbar or whatever, um, and you define all of those. But so it looks as though you're writing um, HTML. The difference is that that's not getting rendered directly onto the page. Instead, React is computing what it needs to do to update the page. So then, you know, if I'm on, like, like you said, uh, you know, there's the DOM on the web side of things. And if you're writing JSX files and components in JavaScript uh, for, for the web, then you're eventually you're going to get down to things like your, your H1s and divs and paragraphs and stuff like that. Are you, you still using those same sorts of constructs on the React Native side? Or is it just an entirely different set of components that you're working with? Yeah, so that's one of the biggest changes for people who are making the jump from React to React Native is that you no longer have things like H1 or div or IMG. Uh, instead, you have view and list view and image and things like that. Um, so they map really closely, but they're more general um, than the HTML spec things like H1. So then I guess that means <clears throat> at, a, at a view layer, there's, there's probably not a whole lot you can sort of share between, say, if you're using if you're using React on the website and you're building apps in React Native, you'd still end up with a, a different UI then. Is that right? Well, so what we actually do at Twitter um, is that uh, one of my former coworkers wrote this thing called React Native Web, um, which <laughs> translates things like view into div and stuff like that. Um, so we actually do have, um, you know, our web implementation is written using these things, which are React Native components. But you just name them things like H1 so that your developers, you know, unless you're actually modifying that library layer, you don't need to know that there's a difference. And that way you can get really good code sharing. That's funny. And yeah. for most. That's kind of like a long roundabout way back to the web. But I, I, guess, I guess it makes some amount of sense. It's just kind of funny to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, don't look too closely behind the curtain because <laughs> Otherwise, you'll need to know maybe more than you want to know about the implementation details. Um, but one of the really nice things also about React Native is that it doesn't take the position that you should have 100% code reuse, right? What makes a really great mobile website is different from what makes a really great iOS app or a really great Android app. So a lot of applications will only share like 80 to 90% of their code. Um, and then they'll have sort of um, like some sort of custom interface code to make it feel a lot more natural on whatever platform you're targeting. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and one of the other things I'm curious of, too, like what, you know, as a user of React on the web, you know, both in JavaScript and, and TypeScript, one of the things that I really always liked about JSX is by putting sort of, by putting your, your HTML components into JavaScript files, you get a lot of <clears throat> compilation and linting and build time type checks that, that really catch most of the really dumb mistakes you're going to make, either type-based mistakes or typos or, I mean, at least for me, like layouts are where I make the most, you know, really dumb mistakes. Um, so in this sort of world where, you know, React Native is compiling on the fly or transpiling or however you want to define that, your, your components to native things, like what does that look like? Can you still sort of catch those dumb mistakes if this stuff is still happening on the fly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it, it 
doesn't happen on the fly when you ship it to production, but when you're doing it for development, you've got this sort of live reloading. And it's actually really great because if you're, say, running the application in the simulator or on your phone as you develop, um, one, you get the app reloads without having to rebuild. So if you're used to waiting like five to 20 minutes or whatever for your app to rebuild when you're trying to fix a UI bug, that's really great. Um, but also if you say, forget to close a JSX element, which is something I do all the time, I think it's a really common mistake. Um, the whole screen will go red and it'll actually highlight the line that you made that error on. And if you click on it, uh, it'll open it up in your uh, IDE or editor of choice. Um, so the debugging experience on React Native is one of the things I really love about it. So I, I want to back up just a little bit to the component idea. And, and so, you know, you, from my understanding, basically, I might write like a, a list view uh, in my JSX, and that translates down to a native list view. Um, is that something I can make my own components of as a developer? Like if I've got a custom UI, you know, view library in Objective-C that, that I want to interface with uh, React, how does that look? Um, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the awesome things about React Native is that it lets you totally reuse those kinds of libraries as long as the APIs are asynchronous, I think. Um, and I actually, in my book, I walk you through um, in one of the chapters, uh, both a simple hello world of how to take an existing like Objective-C or Java module and then access it from React Native. Um, and also how something a little bit more complicated like React Native Video does the same thing. So if you already have those libraries, you can just change, um, write um, you know, some code to make them accessible from JavaScript, and then you can use them as components in React Native. Is that, you know, like a fairly trivial thing to implement, or is it, uh, you know, pretty, like, what, what does it look like to do something simple, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, so for, like, to get a hello world thing working, where let's say you have a really simple quote-unquote library that just logs something, right? Um, I think you have to edit about six files, um, you know, it might take you half an hour to go remember where all of them have to go and to test it and make sure you threaded things correctly. Um, and then it's a matter of, for a more complicated thing, you know, figuring out, uh, a lot of it's about figuring out like, okay, this is how I express it in Objective-C and here's how I would want to use it in JavaScript and here would be the most natural way to do it. Um, so it's not trivial, but it's not what I would say super expensive or painful. So then what about as you get into to more, like let's say I have some really fancy iOS UI library that I want to bring in and I don't really have that on the Android side. Like what does it look like to have this sort of platform split in your UI code? Yeah, um, so you have a couple of options. Um, one is that React Native, if you have, um, you can have platform specific file suffixes. So if you want to have, let's say that like list view, again, to use this example, um, is only for iOS and then for Android, you're going to have to do something different. Um, what you would do in the JavaScript side is you would import a component called like listview.js, but in reality, you would have like a .ios.js and a .android.js file and they would behave differently, but as long as they present the same overall interface, then you'd be fine. So then, is that entirely done based on convention then? Like, in, will React kind of blow up if you if you have just an iOS version of a component and don't have the Android version and the Android version tries to load it or something like that? Yeah, exactly. But it'll blow up really early. Um, so you should notice as soon as you launch your app on Android, which hopefully you did before shipping it. I mean, that's usually a good first step, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's done at, like, the React Native Packager level. So when it tries to build your app, um, it'll notice that you're missing one of the versions. 
so with those platform specific files, can I do like a, you know, a listview.js and a listview.ios.js and just leave out the Android or any of the other platforms and it kind of drops down to the, the default implementation? Is that how that works? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So I want to dig in a little bit too into um, the sort of build process that you mentioned and this distinction between develop time process and build time process where you said, you know, at at develop time, it's a lot more of this hot reloading sort of thing where you're going to get, you know, a big red screen if something goes wrong. Uh, but you mentioned in passing that that's it doesn't really work like that once you start packaging and ship something into the store. So so what's the sort of distinction there? Yeah, um, so I think it's pretty common for a lot of JavaScript projects these days to have this sort of um, build pipeline, right, of minifying and, you know, changing things and trying to reduce uh, excessive redefinitions of stuff and things like that. Um, so that's exactly the kind of thing that React Native does when you... Um, when you bundle something for production, it also does stuff like resolving, like, oh, we expect this image path to be at this location. Um, therefore, it inlines it instead of leaving in like an import call, stuff like that. Um, so it's the same code, but when you're shipping for production, it basically strips out all of the debug stuff. So, what tools do I actually need to get an app, you know, both in development and then when I'm ready to ship it in, into production? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually one of the somewhat confusing parts of React Native, which is that you will still need all of the tools, essentially, for whichever platforms you're targeting. Um, so if you're trying to build an iOS app, you will still need Xcode in order to actually like create something and then ship it off to Apple for review. Um, you will still need to go through the standard Google Play Store process to ship an Android app if you want to put it on the Play Store. Um, and on the one hand, that's really nice because all of the steps to actually put something into an app store are the same as they would be for your existing uh, totally you know, standard native apps. Um, on the other hand, it's confusing for new React Native developers to have to ramp up on all of those things. Um, and so then in addition to that, you will need like a working JavaScript developer environment, basically. So that's Node.js and your, uh, you know, NPM, your editor of choice, stuff like that. Is there... There is another option, actually. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other option is to use this thing called Expo, um, which is what I recommend to people while they're learning React Native and while they're prototyping. Um, it's the option that's shipped with Create React Native App, which is this tool on GitHub that basically generates all the boilerplate for you to just get started. Um, it's really awesome. And what they do is um, they make it so that you only need to be able to edit JavaScript. You don't need to be able to compile for Android or iOS in order to get it onto your device. Um, and they do this because by having a app that they have published in the app stores. And then um, while you're developing, it generates like a QR code, you scan it with your phone, and then as long as you're on the same uh, Wi-Fi network, it'll just send only the JavaScript over. Nice, and I, and I remember we talked about this a little bit in that last episode around React Native that, that I mentioned, that was, I guess, back in May or so, where um, you know Microsoft has, I, I, I believe it's called Code Push, which is a product around actually you know using that same sort of mechanism to, to push, you know, updates to apps that are out in the store without having to go through the whole approval and update process. Um, is that basically the same path that this Expo app is taking? 
Exactly. And that's one of the really awesome things about React Native, right? Code push is magical, but also um, like Microsoft is selling it as a service because to do this correctly is really, really hard. Um, but there's nothing uh, proprietary really about what they're doing. Um, both Apple and Google have carved out specific exceptions to the review process for JavaScript only updates. Right. So so outside of that sort of update, going back to the, the tooling story that you were talking about before, I knew you mentioned, you know, your editor of choice. I'd be curious to hear sort of like if there's a de facto editor that a lot of React Native developers are using and also just like what sort of tool chain you prefer and that, that you work in day to day. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I know a lot of people use Atom or Sublime or Vim or Emacs, um, tending towards more lightweight editors, I think. Um, personally, I use Sublime Text or Vim depending on my mood. Um, I actually was required to take typist training in high school. Um, so Adam, at least last time I tried it, couldn't keep up with my keystrokes, which is very difficult. <laughs> uh, that explains why you're a big Vim fan then. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, anyway, we could, we could leave the text editor wars for another conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I suppose we could dedicate a whole episode to that. Um, like, so in terms of the, the editor that you want to use, is there... Does there have to be much of a plugin story then to, to support this? Or really, do you just need something that can edit JavaScript and JS fi JSX files and then you're, you're good to go? Yeah, exactly. That's all you need. Um, it's nice if your editor has uh, support for things like syntax highlighting in JSX, which is um, one of those things where a lot of the syntax highlighters get a little bit confused towards the end of your files. Um, but, you know, or if you're working in a very large project, obviously you'll benefit from something like autocomplete, right? Um, but all you need to be able to do is edit and save files. And then the React Native Packager, which you leave running in the background um, while you're developing, picks up on those changes and then automatically will refresh uh, the app that's either in your simulator or on your phone. Right. And then kind of extending from that, like what is the debugging story as you're working on this? Like we talked about hot reloading, which is really nice just to not have to go through that whole build chain process just to see, you know, a one pixel tweak here and there or a change in animation or something. But like, can you set breakpoints? Can you can you step through code? What does that look like? Yeah, that's one of the things I really love about it. Um, so you use Chrome's developer tools. Um, I think there's also support for Safari or Firefox's, but personally, I prefer Chrome's debugger tools. Um, so you can set breakpoints, you can step through things. Um, when you log things from JavaScript, they'll show up both within the JavaScript console as well as, you know, you can look at them in, say, Xcode, for example. They'll show up just like any other logs. Um, so for the most part, it's very, very similar to the story around debugging for web development. So you mentioned before NPM and Node.js. <clears throat> now, since I'm using those in my app, does that mean that I can pull in pretty much like any Node library that's out there? Or is there some kind of limitation on what will work with my app? Yeah, that's another one of the things that's really great. As long as the library does not like assume that the DOM exists, you're good to go. So if you have some sort of library that directly reaches out and tries to mutate the DOM for whatever reason, it'll go, wait, there's no web page here. Um, but as long as it's a JavaScript like only library that's sort of platform agnostic, you're, you'll be good. Is there some kind of like naming convention with libraries or some kind of like site that, you know, has a curated list of like what people are using in, in React Native and what's kind of, you know, known to work? Um, let's see. So React Native Community is a GitHub organization, I think, that collects a lot of really popular um, React Native components. So things like a video player, or I think maybe the SQLite implementation for React Native for iOS and Android. Um, although I 
don't I don't actually know if that was in that project. Um, anyway, it's basically a bunch of fairly small and self-contained components that are very useful. Um, and the contributors have sort of pooled their resources to put them under um, one project to ease the maintenance burden. Um, other than that, like most of the popular libraries you'll see used by the JavaScript community. So things like Lodash or things like um, Redux or MobX, um, all of those pretty much just work. So you mentioned Redux there, which which is one of my personal favorite libraries for on the website. When I, basically every React app I do is is also pulling in Redux, just because it works well with the way I like to think about apps. Like, have you are you leveraging that in React Native apps a lot for for managing state? Yeah, definitely. So um, in learning React Native, actually, there's a chapter that's about how to integrate Redux into a larger React Native app. Um, I walk you through a flashcard app how to. Um, basically link all of the screens and use Redux to propagate state. Um, so it's funny because I remember when, you know, Flux was just sort of like this design pattern vaguely described and we had several competing, like 10 competing libraries, right? And now I think the field has consolidated a lot um, because Redux and MobX provide such nice APIs for us. Um, so I use Redux uh, in my apps. I prefer it. I think that it also maps really well to how I think about things. But my general advice when I tell people or when I'm consulting with companies is that it doesn't really matter which one you pick as long as you are consistent uh, about how you use it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and that reminds me of one of the other things. Like, you know, Once you start building a React app on the web, you, you pull in something like Redux pretty often or Flux or whatever sort of state management you want. And you'll probably also pull in something like React Router and then, you know, the Redux version of that to tie in routing. Like how how does that like what's the, the corollary to that whole routing and navigation paradigm on the React Native side? Yeah, um, that's another thing, actually. That's another chapter that's uh, brand new for the second edition um, is how to use React Navigation. Um, so the React Navigator is the package that I like to use. Um, I like using Stack Navigator. I think that works really well with how I think about things. Um, for the most part with mobile apps, um, a lot of the stuff around navigation and routing is very similar to mobile websites, actually. Um, obviously, there will be some differences, and it's very unlikely that you'll have identical, um, like that you'll want that logic to be totally shared across platforms just because of differences in patterns of you know what looks and feels right. Um, but yeah, there's several really popular, um, packages that provide those kinds of things for you. And uh, moving on a little bit to, you know, the actual look and feel of your app. Um, so since this isn't like true HTML, J uh, CSS rendering or anything, like how do I actually style my, my app so that, you know, my native controls on those platforms look and feel, um, you know, in the theme that I want them to be, not just, you know, that the native out of the box, how they would look on iOS or Android. Yeah, so with um, with React Native, the React team has sort of taken some of the principles that they recommend on web and made them a little bit more strict, actually. So, you know, you don't have the option of CSS or stuff like that. Instead, all of your style sheets are essentially objects. Um, you can share them and import them as you like. When you have something like a button, it'll accept certain props that let you control what it looks like. Um, so what I usually end up doing is having some shared like style sheet objects throughout my app for things like color schemes and basic font sizes and stuff like that. Um, and then you apply those to create styled components. A lot of the times I'll also create like button components for each app that are pre-styled um, and then reuse them elsewhere. 
So is there sort of a, a standard approach on that sort of thing? Like, on, on again, sort of going back to the website, there, there's always a big back and forth between, you know, the, the purists that say, well, everything has to be pushed up into these global CSS files and nicely namespaced and maybe use something like BEM and all these, like, naming conventions. Um, and then there's also, you know, a big push of people who want really localized component styles so that, you know, if you're pulling in a component, it just it quote unquote just works without having, you know, no matter where you put it or something, right? Is, do you find the, the same sort of battles on the React Native side or they're more, has it standardized on anything there? You know, I think this is one of those things that changes a lot depending on who you're talking to, <laughs> um, right? It's like I've worked in code bases with BEM and I've worked in code bases that tried to do localized CSS and I've, not, I've yet to work in like a quote unquote pure code base in either of them. You always end up borrowing depending on what the circumstance calls for. Um, so with React Native, one of the nice things is that you can give a component props and then you can have it accept um, more props that can overwrite those and you can determine what ordering you want things to overwrite each other. You can say user specified stuff will always um, supersede it, or user specified stuff will only work if you know these other defaults are not set. Um, so what I usually do is honestly just a mix depending on the project. Um, I don't know. I think that it's because you're working with JSX components anyway, you're sort of forced to default into this more localized approach, and then within that, there's only you know so much leeway to move around. Right, but I guess using the that existing prop system, like you said, you can sort of enable hooks from the outside to to override things in whatever that component deems acceptable. Yep. Cool. So then, so how does that work if you want to say vary? You know, iOS and Android and and Windows and all these other platforms are you know they're very different platforms in a lot of ways. You know, they all have things like list views and buttons and whatnot, but you know they they still look and feel in different ways. So so how can you how can you enable that? like different experiences or even just different scheme, color schemes or, or whatever um, in this sort of approach? Mm -hmm. um, so what I mentioned earlier about how to do platform-specific code, um, that really comes into play there. So like if you want to take a more principled approach to it for a larger project that really has separate like color schemes, say, for each uh, platform, then yeah, you would do something where you would have like color scheme implementations that were per platform. Um, and that would work out pretty well. Most apps that I've seen tend to split things off to become platform specific uh, at that UI layer. And then, you know, all of their business logic, all of the core functionality of their app, all of that is shared. Now, what about layout options when I'm building my apps? Like, can I on iOS still use like a collection view? Um, is there a better option to work with? How does that look like in JSX? Um, let's see. So. You could use a collection view, I guess. You, I'm not sure if that's been ported over to be available in React Native or not. Um, you know, it's really up to the implementer what they want to do. Um. <laughs> I see. Uh, in reading through some of the React Native stuff, there's a, a flex box comes up a lot. Can you talk oh. about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely talk about that. Um, so I'm, I'm a complete Flexbox noob, so I'd, I'd love to be enlightened here. Oh, I love Flexbox. Vertical centering, finally. Um, it so only Flexbox took how many years? Yeah. yeah, vertical centering. So, so difficult. Um, but so with Flexbox, stuff like that, and especially like uh, grid-based layouts are a lot easier. React Native strongly prefers Flexbox. 
Um, you don't have the weird blend of relative and block and whatever else in line positioning that you end up with CSS. Um, there's basically absolute positioning and flexbox. And for the most part, that's it. Can you sort of dumb down Flexbox for me, like from a total beginner level? Um, like, is it a grid-based thing? Do I specify like columns and rows and, and where my things align with that? Or how does that work? Yeah, so Flexbox stands for flexible boxes. Um, basically, within a box, you say for each component, like how much weight it should get. So if you have two components with weight one, they'll each get half the screen. Um, and then you say inside of that box, which way should stuff flow? So should they go horizontally or vertically? How should they overflow? And um, what you end up doing is for most layouts, that's how you think about things, right? It's like within this box, I want horizontal rows, except that like, you know, the bottom footer should be twice as big, stuff like that. Um, and so Flexbox makes it really simple to express that kind of stuff. And does React Native expose all the same sort of Flexbox semantics that you get in CSS, or is it a subset, or what does that look yeah, like? Yeah, for the most for the most part, it's the same exact stuff as Flexbox. Um, I think there's some differences around, like you know, camel casing instead of hyphens. <laughs> That's understandable. Um, so what about and again, sort of trying to tie this to to what someone coming from React on the web might be thinking about. You know, if you're trying to build a, a responsive app on the web, you're to be doing things like media queries and you know things like Flexbox come in really handy again when you want to do flexible layouts there as well. Um, but is there an equivalent to something like a media query or some way to to do you know to share code or layouts between say a tablet and a phone and things like that? Yeah, so there's no, um, the sort of way of thinking about things with media queries doesn't really exist, but you do have the ability to say, like, what size is the screen I'm working with, and then to change behavior based on that. So I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, a step farther in the whole look and feel of, of your apps and resources come to mind. Um, how do those work with React Native? Like, do you, do you still, I know in like some other tools like Xamarin, we basically just use the resources as we would if we were building like a Java app or an iOS app and, and we kind of specify it the same way. How does that uh, work exactly in React Native? Uh, what kind of like, resources? Like, like images, um, mm. you know, even I guess raw kind of SVGs, any kind of asset that you might throw in the app. Yeah, it is really similar to what you would do with like um, normal mobile app development. Um, you can specify different resolutions and the right one will get automatically loaded correctly. Um, you put them in some folder in your app and you tell React Native to import them. So it's it's a pretty straightforward system. Nice. And then what about things like, uh, again, you know, sort of continuing to deep dive down this, you know, say iOS versus Android versus Windows. Like one of the other big things, um, especially, you know, uh, especially on the iOS side is is gestures and, and gestures on iOS are completely different than they are on Android and are completely different than basically every other platform. So So what sort of exposure is there of you know, all the native gestures that, that me as an iPhone, especially as an iPhone 10 user, where the whole UI is one big gesture-based UI. Like, like what, how is that exposed and enabled for developers? Oh, boy, you're reminding me of why I'm nervous about upgrading my iPhone. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great phone. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you sort of have several options. Um, so there are some very, very detailed APIs that will give you like where all of the touch points are and their velocity and how they're moving. And on top of that, you know, people have built gesture recognizers. Um, but then there's also um, much higher level APIs that are like someone tapped here or this thing should respond if you pinch it, um, stuff like that. So you really have a lot of options. 
Are there any, you know, really useful libraries that you would point out to users for to kind of abstract that kind of stuff? Like I can imagine there might be something that, uh, you know, implements the right gestures on, on each individual platform to make your life easier. Um, I actually don't have any recommendations off the top of my head. Um, what about um, moving back a little bit to a previous conversation that we were having about like native uh, accessing of native views and components and stuff like that? Like one of the things that um, comes to mind is, can I really easily mix and match React and native UI view? I mean, I know React's like binding to a native view, but can I pull in, you know, custom native bits here and there like that I write in Objective-C without doing the whole uh, binding thing? Or, or is there is it kind of strictly back to the, I need to do that, those six lines, uh, six uh, files of code and do the custom component and do it that way? Um, is there any story to make that a bit easier? Well, so those like six files, you only have to do that once if you want to okay. use that view in your React Native app. Or you only also only have to do that if you want to be able to control that view from React Native, right? So lots of people, when they start moving to React Native, they take a hybrid approach where they will just take one view in their app and start um, working with it in React Native. Um, and that's a very, very common uh, way for people to do that migration. Or even to just say, we're never going to move to 100% React Native, but mm -hmm. we think that like it would be better if we could experiment with this particular piece of our app more quickly, or this particular piece is more prone to UI bugs, and we will be able to solve them much more quickly if we switch to React Native, that sort of thing. So, so I know we focused a lot on, say, iOS and Android. Like those are, I know those are the two platforms. Well, iOS was the first platform, I believe, that React Native did. Then Android came after that, and then I'm not sure the order from there on out. Um, can you speak to to how mature the support is for some of those other platforms? Like I know on there's UWP, like I said, was, was newer than those, and I know that you mentioned there's you know Ubuntu and some uh, Mac OS support, I believe. But like how how fleshed out are those other options? Yeah, so they're all at varying stages. iOS and Android are definitely the most robust. Um, Windows and Ubuntu are both backed by Microsoft and Canonical, so you know they're in a pretty good state. Um, Mac OS X, I don't think actually has like a major sponsor or necessarily like a huge army of open source contributors, though. Um, so someone was asking me this the other day, like, is it mature enough for desktop apps? Um, and I think my answer is, you know, I expect it to get there in say another six months to a year. Um, but if you need like Windows, Mac, Linux desktop support, uh, React Native will still be a little bit rougher around the edges. Now, one of the big questions that you know comes up when we're talking about native or hybrid or whatever kind of apps we want to call these would be around performance. Um, you know, can you speak a little bit about what that looks like on on mobile devices and how well React Native performs compared to say like a traditional native app? Yeah, so most people I've talked to who are using it in, you know, production and who need that kind of performance. So it's, you know, React Native is being used by Facebook, obviously, but also by, say, Airbnb and Walmart um, and, you know, several other fairly sizable companies. Um, for the most part, it's absolutely fine um, because all of it happens asynchronously, right? So it's not as though you're ever blocking your UI thread with JavaScript. Um, you're still calling the same exact APIs that you would be if you were writing a native app. Um, and if you need very, very high performance for like, say, you know, you have this one task that does some intense graphics processing, then you write it in Objective-C or Java if, you know, you profile it and you see that it makes sense to do so. Do, do you find that like anybody are, is building apps 
sort of starting with native and like um, using React Native for for smaller areas of their apps, like setting screens or or things like that. Like, is that a common path that people start with, or do people mostly just go all in React Native and and kind of sort it out from there? Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of people who are who start with native apps while like intentionally saying, and we're going to do part of it hybrid. Um, unless it's for like, again, like I have a very specialized performance sensitive task like graphics processing. Um, what I see most commonly is that if you have a team that's willing to write React Native, they're probably going to want to do it for their whole app or as much of it as they possibly can just because it's so much faster to develop with it. Um, what I have seen also is a lot of, say, um, project-based shops or consulting shops who need to turn things around pretty quickly. Um, you know, for them, it's stuff like, well, we could write the app twice or we could write it once. Um, so it's harder to make the sell of, uh, you know, starting with native and int intending to only use a small amount of React Native. So one thing I'm also curious about is, um, you know, and you know, some some frameworks and, and platforms are, are better at this than others, but but you know, any any framework that tries to put any sort of abstraction over you know, these different platforms that, that are very different under the hood, um, you know, eventually you're going to hit some sort of wall of something that, you know, the framework either makes it tough to do or does the wrong thing. Um, you know, like how, how good is React Native at allowing you to sort of, you know, hop over that wall or put a door through it or however you want to sort of look at it? Or like, have you found any, have you found it restrictive or um, has that gone pretty well? It's gone pretty well for me. Um, and I haven't heard a lot of, you know, complaints about that because it is so easy to just sort of uh, put a door through the wall as, as you described it. Um, you know, you can put that door through and then do whatever you want on the other side and then jump back through. And I found that it's a pretty straightforward process to do so. Cool. So, so, for, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot of, a, a lot of high points here for, for React Native. Um, sounds like a pretty good way to work. So that's, that's awesome. Um, like, do you have any, again, sort of tying this back uh, one more time to, to people coming from the web side of things? Because, because again, you know, regardless of, of how good that abstraction is, building mobile apps and building native mobile apps is a very different beast than building web apps, um, whether it be, you know, the, you know, needing to worry about battery life on these small devices or, you know, compute cycles and things like that. Um, like, is there anything in particular that you think that web developers should really know if walking into React Native, if they might be thinking, well, I could just, you know, write the same code over here and, and have it work the same. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's exactly what you just said. Mobile is its own beast. Um, and you need to have a lot of respect for the platform and you need to think really deeply about how people are going to be using this. Um, even, you know, very simple stuff that might seem obvious if you've been doing mobile development for a while, right? Like thinking about how changes in device orientation will affect the way your app should behave and thinking about the fact that, you know, Android has so many different form factors, uh, things like that. I think trip up a lot of web developers at first because the UI demands are um, a little bit more intense. Is there anything that, that React Native offers to, to help sort of either in their guides or the way that the framework is set up or anything to sort of ease developers into that? Or you know, is there more of an attempt to kind of mask that and, and pretend that those differences aren't there? Mm -hmm. um, well, so you have pretty good access to information about like, hey, the orientation changed or like what kind of platform am I running on? Um, 
I think as far as easing developers into the transition, like a lot of people's, a lot of web developers' first React Native app will feel a lot like a mobile web page, and that is totally fine, and it's probably like really good for your first project. Um, and so making that transition is pretty easy as you learn to translate things like a div is now a view component and stuff like that. Um, as you learn to translate things like I used to work with relative and inline block positioning, but now I have to like learn Flexbox. Um, there are like a lot of things that you have to cover. And then once you get those basics down, um, React Native makes it pretty easy to transition to, okay, now I really want to master this platform and think really hard about how to make you know, this feel like a really excellent application. Right. And I'd be curious to hear, too, um, sort of along those lines, like either on the teams that, that you've worked on or, or teams that you've observed or t talked to, um, have, have they sort of settled on, is it the same people in the end sort of working on the website of their, their React stuff and the mobile app side? Or do you still end up with that traditional, uh, you know, split between native developers and um, web developers, even if they happen to be using some of the same tech? I think that's one of the things that the both that I've seen and that people I've talked to like the best is that you end up breaking down these traditional silos where you have three teams who need to move in lockstep but also don't really talk the same language. Um, so what I've seen a lot is that you'll start to have people who work in React Native and who work on the React website like flow between projects a lot more often. Um, it'll be a lot more common for people to jump in and contribute to one or the other. Um, it means that you can focus on, you know, if you suddenly everyone needs to focus on this one project that you can do that a lot more easily. Um, and at the same time, mobile developers who have a lot of like really deep expertise in say how to work with iOS or how to work with Android, um, they still end up being able to use that expertise a lot. It's just that they, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent of their day to day. Right. Uh, so do we miss anything, you know, anything that we should make sure that, that our listeners know, um, you know, we, we, again, you know, like any good show that we have, we'll have a whole bunch of cool stuff in the show notes for this one. Um, I think we'll have to go back and listen and, and you know, get a whole bunch of links together, which is, which is a good problem to have. Um, but is there anything that we, we should call out kind of before we go? <laughs> um, so I guess what I would say is that, you know, we've been several years since the release of React Native, and I am really happy with how the platform has matured. Um, and also all of the experimentation that's going on, right? Like the fact that anyone can write their own bridge and now suddenly we have React Native for like your smartwatch um, is really cool. Uh, and the other thing is that I would really encourage people to check out Create React Native app if they wanna just dive in and play around with it because it's a really, really pleasant um, first time developer experience. Awesome, well Bonnie, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.